Well, if you have a Bible, we're going to finish up Jonah today. Jonah chapter 4, if you would turn there. You know, so we've been looking at, at Jonah, at this prophecy, and at one point we said, just a little introduction here, it's, it's a unique prophetic book. And the reason is, is because there is almost no prophecy in the book. I mean, almost none compared to most prophetic books you think of. It's just, thus saith the Lord, and on and on and on it goes. So he's a minor prophet. Now, the minor prophets aren't minor because they're unimportant. There just isn't as much material in their books. So instead of having prophecy, Jonah speaks to us, and the Lord speaks to us through Jonah by his experiences and his relations and relationships with God, the Phoenician sailors, the people of Nineveh, a storm that comes, the sea, a great fish, and we'll see today a plant, a worm, and a Sirocco wind, a very hot wind. And actions a lot of times speak louder than words. And that's the way it is with Jonah. His actions and the narrative speak to us in a lot of ways louder than words could. And so this prophecy of Jonah, it talks to us about the sovereignty of God over his creation. And we'll see today even his care his sovereign care over his creation, and also his sovereign judgment and mercy that he extends to those that don't deserve it. And that's what Terry was talking about. We need to be merciful because we've been shown mercy, and we'll talk more about that today. So I believe what we have here is Jonah's the author of this book, I believe. It doesn't say, okay, but I believe he's telling on himself. There's a humility here. He's learned some things through life, and he's sharing that with us so we can learn from his experience. God brought this prophet. He tells on himself, I'm not your typical prophet. I was totally disobedient, went the opposite direction, and God had to bring me to repentance through some unusual circumstances, threw me in the ocean until I hit rock bottom, he said, and I mean literally the bottom of the sea. And when he came near death, that's when Jonah cried unto God in humble repentance. And God heard him, heard him, he said, from his holy hill. And the Lord showed mercy to Jonah at that point by sending a great fish. So it is a fish, even though it says whale in the New Testament. The Hebrews, they had a word for whale, and it's a great fish. And the word that is translated whale in the King James just means fish. So whatever it was, it was a great fish. And when he got in there, that became his swimming penthouse that he stayed in, his little luxury hotel, for three days and three nights. And like we said, he was extremely happy to be there <laughs> because he, at that point he couldn't breathe. And so God's teaching him a lesson through all that, isn't he? Spits him out in chapter 3, gets to start all over again. The great thing is when you're God's child, he instructs you. He doesn't leave you alone. And he's going to give Jonah, we're going to see chapter 4. Nobody talks about chapter 4. It's not in the kids' books. You don't hear sermons preached on it. But we're going to see God is teaching him a real lesson about his compassion and his mercy. And he deals gently with the prophet. Didn't have to. And so that's the way God deals with us a lot of times, right? So a lot of times we have wrong beliefs, we have wrong ideas, we have wrong emotions, wrong attitudes that we're holding on to. But he does whatever he does, whatever's necessary, and he did that with Jonah to get rid of them in us for our good. You know, Lane talked the other night about chastisement. It's for our good. And so we shouldn't get discouraged 
when through circumstances that come our way, we realize that we are not perfect. That's not the time to get discouraged. That's the time to just make the adjustments that God's dealing with you about. Because your flaws are going to come to the surface. They don't come to the surface when everything's going your way, do they? They come to the surface when we're experiencing problems and difficulties. And so Hebrews 12, the Lord says this, my son, he's talking nice to us. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And he says, don't faint when you are reproved by him. And here's why he's saying that. So you're reproved by the Lord. Nobody likes to be corrected in any way, do they? I mean, nobody does, right? But he says the reason is, is because for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives without exception. So you're going through tough times in your life and he's trying to get your attention and work something out of you. That is not the time to quit. Just the opposite of that. And so sometimes, you know, you feel like, man, my life right now, the way things are going, I am at the bottom of life's ocean. And that's a lot of times the way God's discipline will feel. It's like, man, I have hit rock bottom. It can't get much lower than this. And whatever your circumstances are, it might be something in your family, your marriage, with your children, spiritually, physically, emotionally, whatever it is. And like I said, that's the way it seems with his discipline. And that's what he goes on to say in Hebrews 12 is all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. All discipline is sorrowful. Ask your children. Ask Jonah. It says it's sorrowful for a moment, not for a lifetime. And the end of that, though, is good because it goes on to say to those who are trained by it, afterward it says it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So I would just say, and God would say, just make the adjustments that he's trying to get you to make. Don't quit. That's not what it's all about. Because Hebrews 12 also says, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but let it rather be healed. Make straight paths. He's saying straighten out whatever it is the Lord's trying to correct you, and he'll heal you. He'll take care. He's not trying to cast us off when he disciplines us. And that's something Jonah has to learn, and we'll see in chapter 4. He has to learn that God's not out after us to judge us. That is not his goal in dealing with us because the theme of Jonah is mercy rejoices over judgment. That's been the entire book. You know, if you all remember, didn't we see that with the sailors? We saw that with Jonah himself down in the bottom of the ocean. Mercy rejoices over judgment. And what about the city of Nineveh? <laughs> that should have been great cause for rejoicing. So God delights in mercy, doesn't he? Isn't that what we heard? Not in judgment. So let's read Jonah chapter 4. It's not that many verses, 11 verses. And let's begin in chapter 3, verse 10, to get into it. So Nineveh's repented, and it says in verse 10, chapter 3, that God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And it says, God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. And then, here we come into chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? 
Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to Jonah, Do thou well to be angry? And so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. And then said the Lord, Well, you have had pity on the gourd, for the which you have not labored, neither did you make it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than 120,000 persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Isn't it funny? I mean, that's just a great ending to a book, right? Much cattle. <laughs> I mean, what a way to end a story, right? You're not going to find that in your local bookstore. That's not going to be in your local Barnes and Nobles, right? They usually end books a little better. And you think about it, wouldn't it have been a whole lot better if God's not into showing us the reality of life? Wouldn't it have been a whole lot better to end it at chapter 3? I mean, there we have this huge revival. A revival, like we said, has never taken place before, since, or after. I mean, greatest revival has ever happened. That had been the place to end this story. But he's got to teach us something because he still had to teach Jonah something. And we're back to saying Jonah's telling on himself. Say, wait a minute, I'm just, God had to do a work of me. I'm going to let you in on that, right? And you think about it, look at that first verse in chapter 4. It's really, it's shocking when you think about it. It displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. You're like, how could a prophet of God not be overjoyed that a whole city repents and turns to his God. How can that be? I mean, that doesn't make sense. I'm telling you, I'm going to prison Tuesday, and that would just make my heart rejoice to see that prison, just the people in that chapel, let alone the whole yard, all 1,200 people, turn to the Lord. And yet Jonah, he's upset. And he's more than just a little bothered that God's not going to destroy Nineveh because the Hebrew says... Where it says in verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. It says it was evil to Jonah, a very great evil. He's like, this isn't right. It's really bothering him. And his anger is literally burning. Because the King James there says he's very angry, and the Hebrew says it burned to him. He is fuming. He is hot. But here's the thing. We can't be too quick to get on old Jonah. Because I'm just telling you, there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us wanting to come out. Believe me, we'll see that. Why did Jonah hate Nineveh so much? Was his hatred? He's just, it's just making him sick and hot and angry and displeased that they've repented and God's had mercy on him. 
You gotta understand, they were probably one of the most wicked cultures that have ever been on this earth and hateful to God. They were so brutal in their conquest, I won't get into all the gory details, but they would just uh, totally eliminate armies of cities that they came in. They would leave nothing standing. They would impale soldiers on sticks and leave them hanging to die a slow death. And like I said, I don't want to get too graphic, but just to give you an idea, they would cut off the heads of their enemies and stack them in pyramids. There would be major roads around these cities where they're fighting and conquering, and they'd leave them purposely right by the major roads. And you say, well, why would they do that? Well, I'll tell you why they did that. They wanted to put fear in anybody that walked past that city or that heard about these people. That is what they were after. And they're also, in a sense, they're sacrificing them to their gods. Here are these people. And I'm telling you, they were the original terrorists. They were. Their kings, they delighted in slaughtering nations. And so here's why Jonah's got a problem with all this. He's a prophet. And he knew that one day those people, those Assyrians, God was going to use them to judge Israel. And guess what? They did. He wanted to see God destroy them. You could say he didn't want them to live to fight another day. No, he wanted them to be destroyed because that is exactly what happens. A generation after this group in Nineveh, they did judge Israel and harshly. I mean, they harshly judged Israel. And so Jonah's anger, in a sense, is a reflection of God's anger. If you look back in chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Who can tell, Nineveh said this, if God will turn and repent and turn from his fierce anger that we perish not. So in sense of their wickedness and what they were doing and the way they were acting before they repented, God was upset with them too. And so was Jonah. But here's the problem is when these people had sincerely repented of their sins and turned from their wickedness, God's anger cooled. He's no longer angry with them. But guess what? Jonah's is just getting heated up. He doesn't like what he's seeing here. Jonah wants justice. He doesn't want mercy. And listen to this, Psalm 50, verse 21. God tells us there, he tells the world, he says, you have to understand, I am not like you. Psalm 50, 21 says this. He says, these things you have done, God says, and I kept silence, and you thought that I was altogether such a one as thyself. And he says, I will reprove you. So he doesn't think like we do. God says, I'm not like you. I delight in mercy. And I'm saying our culture, in some senses, we're merciful, but in a lot of ways, we're not. And we're raised in a culture that is not very merciful towards those that have done people wrong. But Jonah knows this about God. He knows that God is a God of mercy. And what we have here in, in verses 2 and 3 of this chapter is Jonah is basically, he's throwing a fit like a little kid that didn't get his way. And he's going to tell his dad, like a little kid will do, tell his dad, where you have no right to do that. Da, da, da. That's what he's doing to God in prayer. Look, look at what he says here in verses 2 and 3. He prayed unto the Lord, verse 2, and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest you of evil. And therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life for me. It is better for me to die than to live. He hates it that God has extended mercy to Nineveh. 
And what he's saying is, in that first part, he's saying, I saw this coming. That's what he's saying there in verse 2. He said, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? He says, wasn't this my word? Did not predict that you were going to do this? I saw this coming. And here, what did he supposedly had done in chapter 2? He supposedly, he repented of that, didn't he? And he's right back here justifying himself. Look, Lord, this is why I fled. I had a good reason to, because I know who you are, Lord, and I don't like it. You should be like me. He's telling God what he should be like. You're merciful. You have compassion, slow to anger. And I knew that if they turned, you would turn. And I don't like that. I mean, that's really, it's like, man, oh, man. So this time he's not fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He's praying to the Lord, but he is right up in his face telling him that he's not doing the right thing. And here is what is amazing about God. Number one, Jonah doesn't hide his brashness. I mean, it's a sin. He's in sin doing this. This isn't right. But man, you know, God, what could he have said? He says, I'd rather be dead than see you exercise compassion towards these people. And in a lot of us, if that was our kid, it'd be like, you are dead. <laughs> You're, you ain't getting out of your room for three weeks or whatever. And yet look how God answers him. Verse 4, and then says the Lord, he's so gentle with him. He said, Jonah, do you well to be angry? He's going to show Jonah, hey, listen, you need grace more than anyone else in this book. Jonah just doesn't realize it yet. He's got to learn about God's compassion. And so he's asking Jonah in that question there. He's saying, is it really right for you, Jonah, to be angry? Do you really have a good reason to be angry with what I'm doing? In other words, do you, Jonah, have a right to complain? Didn't you rejoice and give me thanks when my judgment has sent you to the bottom of the ocean and you knew you were getting what you deserved and I had mercy and compassion and was gracious to you? Didn't you give me thanks and all that? And don't you think... You should be rejoicing and giving thanksgiving when I'm showing the same mercy to these other people. Why are you complaining? Do you well to be angry? Is it really right what you're complaining about? And who is Jonah? We're saying, hey, let's not be picking on him because he's just like the man in the parable of Matthew 18. You remember that parable? The man owes his Lord a huge debt that he could never pay. And he gets on his knees and begs for mercy. And it says there that king freely forgives the man everything. Why? Because it said he had compassion on him. And that's what we're talking about is God's compassion today on people that don't deserve it. And he said, you can't pay that debt. I see your pitiful condition. There's no way you can pay me back. It says that king was moved with compassion and freely forgave him, no strings attached, didn't have to do a thing to get rid of that debt, didn't have to work any of it off. And it goes on to say that that man went out and found a fellow servant who owed a pittance in comparison to what he owed that king, next to nothing. And it says when that guy couldn't pay him, he grabs his neck and he's choking him. Choking him. When the king finds that out, he has the man brought before him. And here's what the king says to that man. He says, oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because you asked me to. You desired me. He said, shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? 
And that's what God is asking Jonah, and that's what God is asking us. Because all of us, I hope, daily go before the Lord and say, forgive me, Lord, for this, this, and this that I did. And yet, how offended we can be with somebody because they do some kind of an insult to us, right? Ask God to forgive you. You don't get the respect you think you deserve, and you refuse to even speak to someone because you're offended for days. And just like with Jonah, God would say, is that right? Have you good reason not to forgive and show mercy to someone else? Or you, didn't you ask me, you, you just lost it. You just blew up with somebody, an outburst of anger, and you asked me to forgive you. And God says, I did freely. But now somebody's insulted you, and you refuse to forgive them and have compassion on them. And so those words, all of us, there's a lot of ways that you can be unforgiving towards somebody. And like I probably have said this before, you'll have to hear it again. But I heard a preacher say a ways back that when you're critical, when you're critical of someone, speaking behind their back, having unkind thoughts towards them, he said this, criticism makes you cool to people. And we all know that, right? You can tell, hey, that person was warm to me, and now all of a sudden they're avoiding me. They won't talk. Something's up. It's unforgiveness. It's a form of unforgiveness. And we've got to get past that. That's what we're trying to learn here. That's what God's trying to show us. Shouldest thou not also, the Lord would say, have had compassion on thy brother or sister, thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? That's a hard lesson to learn. And so when God is good to someone else and it offends you that he's good to them, you've got a problem, right? Because <laughs> Jesus said this in the parable of the laborers. Is it not lawful, the Lord said, for me to do what I will with mine own? He says, is your eye evil because I am good? And that's what's going on with Jonah. God has the sovereign right to be compassionate. We know that from Romans 9, to whomsoever he will. And we don't have any right to get upset about that, whether we think they deserve it or not. Right? So we all have to watch the temptation to sulk because someone else is blessed that we thought should be cursed. That is not right. We should never, ever rejoice in someone else's calamities. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. That is not something we should rejoice about. So what happens here with Jonah down in verse 5, after the Lord speaks to him, he leaves the city of Nineveh. He goes and he sits on a hill because he wants to see what will happen. He's already been in that city, and when he started preaching, those people started changing. They started repenting, and he realizes God's going to have compassion on them and not judge them like he thought they would, right? So he's getting up on that hill. It says he wants to see what might happen because he knows his Bible well enough that he knows sometimes people repent, and yet God will still carry out his chastisement or judgment. We know that about David. David repented. But he lost that child that came as a result of his idolatry. He fasted and prayed. Hey, who knows? Maybe God will have mercy on that child. Uh-uh. God said, that's not going to happen. And he lost his oldest son, Absalom. And so Jonah's saying, hey, maybe they've repented and all that, but it still might be. I want to sit here and maybe God will judge them. <laughs> so he makes a booth, and it was just probably some rickety thing. It wasn't blocking the sun much. He makes a booth made of sticks, whatever he could find, and he sits in that thing. And he's sitting and sulking and watching. And then God takes that opportunity to use circumstances to teach Jonah a lesson. 
He's going to use his providence over creation to speak to the prophet. And so it says that he prepares three things to teach Jonah some lessons on compassion. And I'd say they're more effective than any sermon that could have been preached. And so the three things are we have there in verse 6. It says God prepared a plant or a gourd in verse 6. And in verse 7, it says God prepared a worm. And in verse 8, it says in the middle of that verse that God prepared a vehement east wind. Some of these commentaries, they want to try to say all these natural occurrences that happen. And no, these are supernatural events. You find me a plant that's going to grow up high enough to give a man complete shade overnight. It says God prepared or appointed these things. They're supernatural. He's creating a living parable on his compassion to teach Jonah and us a lesson. That's what's happening here. And so the first lesson Jonah learns through all this, and it comes through the plant, and he learns this, and we can learn this, is that compassion, God's compassion, is for sinners. Because there's Jonah in the midst of his sin. He's angry, and he's pouting, and God, like we said, prepares a plant, grows up supernaturally overnight, to such a size it's given him complete shade where he's sitting. And Jonah is excited, it says, about this deliverance. Look what it says there in verse 6. God prepared a gourd, made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. And look what it says. So Jonah, he was exceeding glad about it. He is excited, delighted, couldn't be happier. And it says, because God has rescued him from his grief or discomfort or misery. It's the same word, the exact same Hebrew word that is used about Nineveh when it says their wickedness, their misery, their grief, God said, has come up before me in chapter 1, verse 2. And back in chapter 3, verse 10, you can just look up there. It says that God repented of the evil. It's the same word, the grief or the misery that he said he would do unto them. So God turned from the misery, delivered Nineveh from the misery that he was going to bring on them because of their sin, the evil, the misery. So he's graphically teaching Jonah a principle. He's telling him this. He says, you are just beside yourself with joy because I've delivered you from your distress, that hot sun. And he's letting him know then, you didn't deserve that. And so why can't you, Jonah, be just as happy? You're so glad to be delivered from your distress. Why can't you be just as happy to see a whole city of people, Nineveh, delivered from their distress? And so what's happening here is the book of Jonah, so Israelites, it's happened to show them salvation is more than just them. That God has concern for all of his creation. And it should speak to us because this is sometimes a prevailing attitude that America is, you know, we're under God. We're a Christian, quote unquote, Christian nation. And so his salvation is for us middle class white people, (laughs) right? Hardworking people. But no, that's what we're seeing here in Jonah. It's not just for Israel. It's not just for America, middle-class America, but for all people that God has created, even what Jonah has to see is what he considers hardened, wicked sinners. And I think we sometimes have a problem with that. But that is what salvation is for, people that have done us the most wrong or other people. 
You know, I took a class that had a lot of young people in it when I was in the seminary, when I was at the undergrad school, and there was a young man in that class who told me one time that he'd witnessed his mother. This man, he was in the kitchen with his mother. A man came in the kitchen, pulled out a gun, and shot his mother dead right in front of him. He's eight or nine years old when this happened. The guy leaves, and here is this young man with his dead mother right in front of him in a pool of blood. And he told me, I hated that man for years. Hated him with an absolute hatred. Until, he said, I got saved. And he said, God did a work in my heart. And this young man that's telling me this is only 20 years old. <laughs> he's not like he's an old guy that got it worked out. 20 years old. And he told me, he said, God did a work in my heart. He said, I went and visited that man in prison. And I told him I forgave him. And that I was praying for his salvation. And the man got saved. What a testimony. And I'm saying that's what Jonah wasn't willing to do that. He's saying, you Ninevites and you Assyrians are so evil and wicked, you're causing distress on the world. You deserve to be judged. This young man could have said the same thing. But that's the work the Lord Jesus Christ should do in us, that no matter how evil, no matter how wicked a group of people or a person, no matter what they've done to you, you should desire, we should all, all of us should desire the same mercy be shown them that was shown to us. Amen? The same mercy and grace that was shown should be shown to them. Because we tend to forget our past, don't we? The longer we get in the Lord and we realize that, you know, sometimes we forget about how bad we are. And we meet people or we see things on TV. I mean, Jonah was a racist. He did not like Assyrians. And sometimes I think we can become racist as far as Muslims go because of what we see on TV if we're not careful. And we want to see them judged. And we look with suspicion on them. Why should that be? We can't forget our past. Paul wrote this in Titus 3. He says, speak evil of no man to be peaceful and gentle, showing all meekness to all men. And here's what Paul wrote. For we, he even includes himself in here. He says, we also were once foolish, disobedient deceived, enslaved to various lust and pleasure, living in malice and envy. So a lot of young people in here, you'll be like, man, I can't relate to, you know, because they all, yeah, you're, you did drugs, you did this, you did. Hey, that's fine. You don't have to be a drug, ex-drug dealer, ex-foreigner. You don't have to be any of those things to have known God's mercy, right? Because I guarantee you, you had malice and envy in your heart. That's not drug-related. That's called natural sin related, right? Paul says because we were malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And then he goes on to say, but. I heard a guy preach the whole sermon on the buts. It didn't stop there, did it? That's the way we all were. Everyone in this room, I don't care who you are, how good you thought you were. But. We were all that way, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, then it goes on to talk about it. he saved us. He said, hey, we all have experienced the but, or most of us in here, right? And he's saying, if you've experienced that, don't try to act like you're some whatever above all these sinners out there, the worst of sinners. No. no he said, remember who you were, hateful, full of envy, hate, despising people, disobedient. 
involved in all kinds of lust, just like these people that we meet out in the world, right? And so we need to share our testimony, have compassion on these people. You know, that's the spirit of the Bible, Old and New Testament. It goes from Jonah all the way through the New Testament. The Jews hated the Samaritans. It worked both ways. And so when they wouldn't receive Jesus and his disciples, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. That's the quickest route. They're like, nope, you ain't coming through here. And what happened? <laughs> James and John, they say, hey, Lord, allow us, please, to call down fire from heaven on these Samaritans. They're racist too. And so we can consume them like Elijah. And Jesus is like, hey, you know, Jonah, was, he'd have been applauding that. That's the spirit, boys. Right? And Jesus says, uh-uh, wait a minute. He says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. He says, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So that's the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. It's, we only have one God. It's the same God. It's always been his heart. But Jonah's got this outlook on these people. He wants strict justice. Nineveh and Assyria are evil in his mind. They've caused many mothers to be without their sons. They've done unspeakable tortures to people on nations. And they hate God. In his mind, they deserve no mercy. And I'm saying that is a common outlook today. And we need to look in our own hearts to see if it's not there. Because when it's reported, and I know this is true, when hardened criminals repent and become Christians, usually the victims and people that have witnessed what they've done or somehow experienced it or even read it in the newspaper, they're usually not very impressed with that. And I understand that sometimes it's not sincere or whatever. Most of you younger people, it's been 16 years or maybe 22 years, I guess, but there was a man back in through the 90s named Jeffrey Dahmer. He was a bad, bad person. Now here again, won't say what that man did, he was a serial killer, and way beyond that, one of the most gross, wicked people that have ever been produced. But the way I understand his story is he became a committed Christian when he was in prison and became baptized. And I'll tell you one thing, his own mother, who had nothing to do with him up until then, who was a Christian, probably praying for him, she would talk to him on the phone, and, and he had many attempts on his life. That's the way it is in prison. You're a child molester, you're something like, you're in trouble. They don't treat those people well. And he was that and then some. And he told his mother, he said, because of his relationship to the Lord, he said, I'm not afraid to die now. And he actually was, he ended up he getting beat by a pipe and he was murdered in prison. But there's a lot of people, hey, they are like Jonah. That Jeffrey Dahmer deserves nothing but strict justice. And they really, to this day, would not believe that someone like him could go to heaven. And they would even go so far to say, if God would allow somebody like him that did the things he did into heaven, I wouldn't want to be there. If God granted repentance to Jeffrey Dahmer, he'll be there, whether we like it or not. That's the truth. I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened, but there have been cases where that really has happened. And I go into prison, and I've met guys like that. Some of them, I'm a little bit like, I don't know if your repentance is sincere. Or genuine but there's other ones I'm convinced you are a genuine converted person it doesn't matter about your past I'll see you in heaven brother and that's the attitude Jesus is addressing in the parable of the prodigal son is it not listen to what I'm saying God is not allowing unrepentant sinners into heaven but those 
that have truly repented of their sins. It doesn't matter how gross, how wicked, how perverse. They are gladly received into heaven with joy. With joy in front of the angel. It doesn't matter what the religious leaders think. Because at the beginning, before Jesus told the parable of the lost coin, and the lost sheep, and the prodigal son, before he told that, here's what it says. Then drew near unto him, unto Jesus, all the publicans who were hated, and sinners for to hear him. There's something about Jesus. They realize this man has got words. He's got compassion. He can help us. They know they're wicked, but he's not driving them away. And it said they drew near unto him to hear him. And it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Oh, yeah. So that's when we have these parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Because he's telling them, hey, these people you despise, that you think, how could they ever be saved? All they deserve is justice. They're not like us. From our youth, we've kept the law, never violated anything. Until <laughs> they heard the Sermon on the Mount, right? But he says God is actively seeking his lost sheep. And he says when they're found, there's joy in heaven. And there should be joy in our hearts too when that happens. Forever grateful. The song we sang. We shouldn't be like the elder brother. So Jonah was both the prodigal and the elder brother in this story. <laughs> which is kind of funny, isn't it? But he's the elder brother in chapter 4. He's like the elder brother who was angry that his father is throwing a party for this brother of his. He's not going to go into that party. And he spoke with contempt, just like Jonah did. He tells the father, if you read Luke 15, he says, that son of yours. Oh, he's not my brother. He's that son of yours that devoured thy living with harlots. And what's amazing, if you read Luke 15, the father in that parable talks nice to the elder brother. He doesn't get nasty with him, try to straighten him out. And he's the bigger sinner at this point, isn't he? He talks nice to him. Here's what he said. Son. He doesn't get on him. He says, son, you are ever with me and all that I have is thine. I mean, that's a nice way to rebuke somebody, isn't it? Son, all I ever have, it's, it's all yours. Right? But he goes on to say this. It was meet or suitable that we should make merry and be glad for this, he corrects him, thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So the first lesson we learn from this plant that Jonah should learn and we should learn is that compassion is for sinners. <laughs> People that have sinned. Isn't that what we learned there? And the second lesson comes through the worm and the scorching east wind. And that is that compassion is for other people, not things, and it's not self-centered. So here's that gourd, that plant, giving Jonah all this shade, and he just thinks this is great. And God prepares a worm that destroys that plant as quick as it came up, right? And on top of that, he sends an intensely hot east wind. Had to be burning him up. Jonah's in worse misery than he ever was, right? And on top of that, it's saying the sun is beating down on his head. And Jonah's suffering heat stroke. He's doing terrible. And so what happens to old moody Jonah? He's right back to where he was before that gourd came back. He's angry and he wants to die. He's saying it's better for me to die than to live. 
and God has him right where he wants him. God's in control of all of this. He's teaching him a lesson. He's got him right where he wants him. And he's got him prepped to ask him the same question he asked in verse 4. Is it right for you to be angry? Except he adds a little something in here. Look in verse 9. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry? That's the same thing he said in verse 4. But he adds on here, for the gourd. And Jonah's like, yeah, I have every right to be angry, even unto death. And it's like the Lord is saying to Jonah, well, let's analyze. He goes on when the Lord goes on to talk to him. Let's analyze this anger of yours. You know, the pity that you're having for this beloved plant of yours. Are you got real compassion, real pity for this plant? I don't think you really care about it, the Lord's telling him. You're getting angry about a plant that died, and it's a plant that you have no time invested in. You haven't labored over it. You didn't cause it to grow. You're not like a gardener. How could you really care about it, the Lord's saying? It's just here one day and gone the next. And he's telling Jonah, look, the only reason that you have any concern is because of your self-interest, not genuine love. The only thing you care about this plan is it gave you a little bit of shade and made you comfortable. And so listen to what's being said in that. God is like telling Jonah, look, there is something wrong when you are more concerned about things, a plant a car, a job, your dog, a website than you do about people that perish. Isn't that what he's telling me? So here's what we need to see in this. Shouldn't we as Christians have the same concern for the lost that our Lord does? 1 Timothy 2 says this, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to... I'm not going to say it. What's the word? All should come to what? You've got to wake up to say repentance. <laughs> all should come to repentance. And so sometimes we look at the state of our world and how wicked it is and how God just allows this evil to continue without pouring out his wrath. And this tells us the reason why. It's not that God doesn't care about sin, but it's that he doesn't desire that any should perish. He cares about souls. He really does. Because in Isaiah, it says that judgment is his strange work. He doesn't delight in carrying out justice. Ezekiel 18 says this, God says, Have I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? When the wicked man turns away from his wickedness that he has committed and does that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive because he considers and turns away from all his transgression that he has committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet, saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. They're saying that is not fair. Here is this person that has committed all these wicked deeds, and all of a sudden he just thinks he can turn to you and everything's okay. That's not fair. And God says to them, he says, O house of Israel, are not my ways equal and your ways unequal? 
So the most wicked person, when they truly turn and repent, God says, they will live. I'll give them life. And we need to rejoice in that and be praying for that to happen and be willing to share the gospel with the most wicked person that has done us wrong or to forgive anyone in here to show them the same compassion that God has shown to us. That's the way we should be. And Jonah cared about that plant because it served his self-interest. But God cares for people because they're his creation, not because of selfish interest. He doesn't gain anything from that, what he can get out of them, but because as their creator, he has compassion on his creation. Even the non-elect. He doesn't hate the non-elect in the sense that he has no concern for them at all and he shows them no love. We'll see a couple places. In fact, if you'll turn to one right now, put something there in Jonah and turn back to Psalm 145. And we'll see that God has concern for all of his creation. And that's the point. Psalm 145, beginning in verse 1, it says this. The psalmist says, I will extol thee, my God, O King. We sing this song, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of thy might, of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. And look at verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. And look what it says in verse 9. The Lord is good to who? To all. And his tender mercies are where? Over all of his works. I mean, that's not even just people. That's his creatures. God cares about his creatures. So saints and sinners alike, and even his animal creation. You're there, look down in verses 14 and 15. Look what it says there. The Lord upholds all that fall and raises up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thy hand and satisfy the desire of how many living things? Every living things. So he makes sure if he creates an animal, I mean, there's animals that are probably never seen or very rarely seen that live up in mountains or whatever. And God says he makes sure that's his creation. He opens his hands and makes sure they are fed. He doesn't care that anybody ever sees them or sees what he's doing. He just has concern and tender mercy, it says, over all his creation. And so we should show the same mercy. Because we don't know, do we? You go back to Jonah, he's telling him here in verses 10 and 11, look what he says. He says, you have had pity on the gourd for which you haven't labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And he says, verse 11, and should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than 120,000 people, that they can't discern their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. And he says, hey, Jonah, I care about the plant just like you do, probably in a real way. But he says, I care even more about Nineveh, a great city, 120,000 people. He says, because I created those people. I've cared for those people. I've caused them to grow. I've watched over them. They're sinners, wicked sinners. But he says, 
They're in a culture they can't discern their right hand from their left hand. They're blind. They're ignorant. They don't know their way out of that. And he's saying, shouldn't I care about them, Jonah? That's what he's asking. That's that last verse in that book. Shouldn't I care about my creation? He says, because I even have concern for cattle. Stupid cattle. He said, I've got effort put in those cattle. You didn't, Jonah. You don't care about them, but I do. I had to make sure they were fed, watch them grow. I gave them life. I created them. You try to create a cow. Can't do that. So here's what I want to say. This has been our message today. If we're to have the heart of God, we need to have love and compassion to all men. No matter how wicked, no matter how they've treated us. And I'm saying, we all know this. It's easy to preach. It's not easy to live. Because this is what the Lord has instructed us in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to this. You have heard, he said, that it has been said, you shall love thy neighbor and hate your enemy. And that is what our society teaches us. He said, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the children of your father. So what does that say? God loves sinners, not maybe in an elect way, but he does good to them and he loves them in a way, not in election, but he does show them love because he tells us that we're to love them. He's not going to ask us to do less than he's doing. He says, so that we may be children of your father, which is in heaven, because God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He says, for if you love them, which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brothers only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? He says, therefore, be ye perfect even as your Father, which in heaven is perfect. And so what's the message of Jonah 4? What is the message of all of the book of Jonah? Mercy rejoices over judgment. And that is the heart of our God. And here's another song we sing. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love what? Love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. And so God delights in showing compassion on sinners. And like Jonah, we've been recipients of that compassion, grace, and mercy. God, in a sense, has caused the plant to grow over us, to give us shade, right? But unlike Jonah, we don't want to be like him in this respect. We need to be willing vessels. He was not a willing vessel. I think he changed. I think he's writing that book to say, God did a work in me. I want to share it with you. Here's what happened that caused the change in my life. But we need to be willing vessels, willing to show God's grace, mercy, and compassion. We're glad somebody shared salvation with us. I sure am. Had many a stranger say words to me, hand me tracks or whatever all else, and I am so glad they did. Maybe I didn't drop to my knees right that moment, but it all had an impact on me. That chick track that I was handed, that guy that came up to me when I'm drunk one night telling me I'm going to hell, all of that was God's grace and mercy in my life through people that weren't too concerned about what I thought about them. And I'm so glad. I'd give the guy a kiss if I could find him, whoever it was that came up to me on there. I don't know where he's at. 
But boy, am I grateful. And we should return the favor. That's what God's saying here. So let me end with this. There's a Jewish tradition, as I understand it, when they celebrate Yom Kippur, the great day of atonement, Leviticus 16. And when they're celebrating that in the afternoon service, they read the book of Jonah. And when they get to the last verse of chapter 4, God asked everyone, Jonah and us, a question. Look at it. Jonah 4.11. And he says, God's asking this question. Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle? He's asking us that question. There's no answer here. We don't know what Jonah's answer was. It doesn't give it. Well, it's open-ended. But the Jews... They read this verse. They answer that question. This is the response they do when they celebrate Yom Kippur. Micah 7, verses 18 to 20. Who is a God like you? This is how they answer that. Who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the day of old. And that's the God we serve. He doesn't retain his anger forever. He delights in showing unchanging love and Hey, if you're in here today and you know you're not doing well spiritually, he says he will again have compassion on us and he'll tread down our sins and lift us up again. And he will restore unto whoever wants it, whoever needs it, the joy of our salvation. Amen. God will do that. And that's what we see here because God does not want to judge anyone in here. His mercy rejoices over judgment. Thus saith Jonah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you'll speak to all of our hearts today and that we can rejoice in the great mercy and compassion and grace that you've shown in our lives, that we're forever grateful, Lord, that you've saved us and that you can show us, Lord, that, that any person out there that is your creation, what, however great a sin they've ever committed against us or anyone else, Lord, that you still desire to show them compassion and mercy and that we should do the same. And make us, Lord, I ask, people in our church here, Make us willing vessels to share your good news and the gospel that you will grant repentance and salvation and newness of life. Help us to be willing to share that, Lord, and open doors for us to do that. And I just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.